Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Foundry Church, where we are all about a better you and a better world, and we're all about having people in the actual building. Hey! <clears throat> it's so very exciting. It's so very exciting. Uh, today is a kind of a big day. We're somewhat back to normal. We're back on our normal stage. We have some more people here. Next week on June 7th, uh, we're opening up a little bit more. And if you haven't seen this or you need to know this, um, we're, we're allowing people that want to come to come, but just let us know you're coming so that we can prepare accordingly so that we can maintain the guidelines that have been set in place by the government, okay? So you can go online or we'll try to email that to you or it'll be on Facebook. It will be somewhere, a link to register to let us know you're coming. Please do that so that we can have you here because we miss you. I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad you guys are here. I wish you guys were here. Yeah. So we are in week seven of our series called Nothing Changes If Nothing Changes. And what we've been doing is we've been going through the 12 steps of recovery. And we're looking at the spirituality and the theology of the 12 steps of recovery. And the idea is that really um, we want to pursue life transformation. Right? So that's what this process as we work through these steps is. So we're in week seven, step seven. This is what we've covered so far. You can look on the screen. On the screen. Step one, admit powerlessness. Step two, believe in a higher power. Step three, surrender control. Step four, conduct a moral inventory. Step five, admit wrongdoing. Step six, be entirely ready. Step seven, humbly ask. Now, all these things are very important, and hopefully you've been walking through this process with us. Let, uh, also, if you've missed any of these and would like to go back, you can go to our website, thefoundryc.org, and you can click on watch, and you can see all of our archive messages there. So if you're behind, you can catch up, right? All right, so step seven, according to AA and Celebrate Recovery, says this. Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. This is AA. And then Celebrate Recovery says, we humbly ask him to remove all our shortcomings. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, if you notice, this step immediately begins again with some sort of paradox, kind of like we mentioned last week. Last week was step six, where we said we were entirely ready to have God remove all of our defects of character. We were entirely ready, which means it's up to me, which means I have responsibility to give God our defects of character, which means it's not up to me, which means it's grace. So it's responsibility and it's grace. It's up to me and it's not up to me. This is similar. Humbly asked, which is up to me, him, God, to remove our shortcomings, which is not up to me. So again, responsibility and grace, they work together. This is interesting because it's up to me, but this up to me requires a certain posture. It's a posture of humility. It's a posture of humility that is much different than the other postures of humility. Wow, that was intense. I felt like I got real powerful all of a sudden. Yeah, here's, here's what I mean, uh, and we'll get to more of this later. In the earlier phases, in the earlier steps, the, the first, first six steps, the idea of humbling the self, the idea of dying to the self, and, and maybe you've experienced this and you know this to be true, that can be a very tough pill to swallow. That can be a very difficult thing to lay down the ego, to lay down the pride. But at this point in step seven, if you've done the work, if you've done the work, because it works if you work it, if you've done the work, then humility becomes something that you're not running away from, but it's something that you're actually running towards. We'll talk about this more in a bit. 
There's several great lines in the AA curriculum in this material for step seven. I want to give you a few this week. Let me start with this one in light of what we just said. Okay, it says this. Where humility had formerly stood for a forced feeding on humble pie, it now begins to mean the nourishing ingredient which can give us serenity. This improved perception of humility starts another revolutionary change in our outlook. Let me read that again. Where humility had formerly stood for a force feeding on humble pie, it now begins to mean the nourishing ingredient which can give us serenity. This improved perception of humility starts another revolutionary change in our outlook. Right, so this is like <clears throat> you're elevating in your thought process. This is your transcending, your rising, <clears throat> rising above a previous way, a previously conditioned way of thinking, which can be hard to do. This is I, I, I was forced to be humbled. I went through this thing. I admitted I was powerless. I was forced to do that, and that was a difficult thing. But now I'm coming to realize that there's actually something to this, something that's beneficial. There's something good that can come from this. This means that you're actually learning to break the cycle. You're, you're undoing the conditioning. You're now beginning to think of this all a bit differently. This is, this is really, really incredible. So step seven is like taking the next step. It's, it's elevating where you're at with this whole process. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Now, I want to break this, this step down into like three thoughts. Three, three, three like sections. Prayer, posture, and progress. Okay, prayer, posture, and progress. This, this is what I believe uh, is, the, is the heart, the underlying thing of, of this step. So let's start with prayer. Most nights, I am blessed to be at home with my family, putting my kids to bed. We go through our normal routines. Uh, when Jess is there, she's, uh, you know, we, we do this together, put the kids to bed. When Jess is not there, if she's at work or something, I will take the time. I will sit with each kid individually, and I will pray for them, over them, whatever. And normally when I pray over them, what I do is I like to pray. I like to give God thanks for who they are and, and who God created them to be. So I say this to them. I say this out loud. So I say things like, dear God, I'm just so very grateful for my daughter, Ella. I'm so grateful that I get to be her father. I'm so grateful for her creativity, right? So she can hear me giving thanks for what God has created her to be. Even if that creativity is the thing that like allowed her to come up with ways to torture her little brothers, and I was really upset about it earlier, I'm trying to see the thing behind the thing. I'm trying to see like there's this goodness there that can be used for something good so that she can hear me say, I'm grateful for her creativity. Or with Elias, and I say things like, God, I'm so grateful for Elias. I'm grateful for his free spirit. Even if it's his free spirit that I have to yell at him 10 times to put up his toys and causes me to pull out my hair, right? I'm trying to look for the good in the middle of this stuff. So when it comes to Ezra, our middle child, Ezra is, he's the, he's the sensitive one. He's like, he's like an empath. He feels things deeply. And so for Ezra, he was going through a spell where he was having bad dreams, he's having bad thoughts, and he couldn't get to sleep. And so one night, uh, you know, he, and he, he shows it emotionally. He wears his emotion on his sleeve. He just, he can't contain himself. And Dad, I just need you to be here. I'm scared. I'm like, okay, buddy. So finally, um, I said, you know, what, you know what I do, buddy, when, when I get scared or nervous, uncertain about things that are happening in my life? What, Dad, what do you? I said, well, first of all, I pray and I ask God to be with me. And then I, then I often quote a scripture. And I said, I, I, I repeat um, Philippians 4, 6, and 8, which is one of my favorite verses. I go, do you want to hear it? He says, yeah. I said, okay. Well, it says, do not be anxious about anything, 
What does anxious mean? Oh yeah, you're five, okay. Uh, so anxious is like being worried or scared or nervous or unsure about what's happening. So don't, don't be worried or scared or nervous about the things that are happening. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, again, this verse, when I was thinking about this verse, the prayer and petition, <laughs> so I'm uh, present your request to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what peace that transcends all understanding means? No. <laughs> of course, right? He's fine. We have struggled with this, and I'm trying to tell this to a five-year-old who's crying in, at night trying to go to bed. But I said, buddy, it's like this. I, I, we have this dog named Jackson, this lock lab, and, and if that to play with us, it brings its bone, it goes into its toy bin, gets its bone, brings it, and drops it at your feet, and then waits for you to to play and it just sits there it sits there and I said it's like it's kind of like when Jackson brings you a bone he brings it and he drops it at your feet and he waits for you to pick it up I said so this is like what God is saying to us don't be worried or nervous about anything in your life all these thoughts that you're scared of. I go God wants you to bring this and drop this at his feet and when you let go of it he picks it up and he takes it on him so then you don't have to carry it with you so then you can be at peace knowing that there will not be any monsters under your bed that there will not be things bad coming, that there will only be God taking care of you, both your heavenly father and your earthly father taking care of you, right? So he begins to, to take this, there will be this peace that will transcend. You won't even understand it. It will be so, you won't even be able to understand why you feel calm in the middle of why you're scared. So I just said that's, that's the way this thing goes. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, 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 that would be nice. So now, every night, whether I'm in the mood or not, say the Philippians 4, 6, no, go to bed, I'm tired of a bad day, leave me alone. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes. But we say the prayer, and he calms, and he calms, and he calms. You see, in those moments, we are humbly asking God to be involved in our lives. Step seven starts with humbly ask. This is prayer. Prayer is communication. Prayer is relationship. Prayer is about stepping into the paradox even deeper. Prayer is something we do, but it's also the acknowledgement that there's not a lot that I can do. You see? It's your responsibility, but it's also not your responsibility. There's this other weird paradox with prayer, if you look at the scriptures, that comes from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, uh, 7, 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. So he says, ask and it will be given to you, pray, talk to me, whatever. And then, and <laughs> if you back up to chapter 6, Jesus says, and when you do pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So he says, pray, and also, you know, God knows, so he knows, you don't, he knows before you ask him. So the question then is like, why pray? <laughs> well, for many... The, the thought about prayer is that we pray so that we can get what we want. We pray so that, that we attempt to push God to do our bidding. Now, we wouldn't say it that way. We wouldn't say that I'm trying to like, use God as a genie to fulfill my wishes. We wouldn't say it that way. But think about how we pray. God, I need this. God, I need that. God, please fix this. 
God, I have a friend that God heal this. God, give me a job. God, please give me patience. And maybe we offer occasional thanks, giving of thanks, you know, like when we eat dinner. God, thank you for our food. Help it to nourish and bless our bodies. And God's like, yeah, but you're eating a bunch of fast food. There's only so much I can do. Put the fries down. I can't make you do that. Prayer is not about changing God or about getting things done for you. Prayer is living in the relationship between us and God. And for the sake of changing, not God's perception and perspective, but on changing us. Prayer is really about learning for us how do we align ourselves with the nature and character of who God is. Prayer is about us learning that we are not in charge, that we are not in control of all things, that we are not the very center of the universe. Prayer in and of itself invokes a posture of humility because to seek, to seek guidance, to seek help, to seek change, to seek some sort of divine influence is to acknowledge that there are things that are beyond the almighty you. Right, so when Ezra says at night to me, Dad, can you say Philippians 4, 6, the quoting of this passage has become our prayer. And in doing this, in this prayer, we assume this posture of humility. He assumes this posture of humility to his earthly father as well as to his heavenly father. God, I acknowledge that I need someone beyond myself to intervene in this moment. Of course the Father knows what you need before you ask Him. But it's in the asking where we release this idea that we are in charge and that we are in control and that it's entirely up to us. You see, so prayer, prayer itself invokes this posture and it's this posture of humility, which is why the step begins with humbly asked. Right, so now let's talk about this posture of humility. Humility is tough. Humility, by the way, is like the act of, of being humble. And the reason it's tough is for a couple reasons. One is because of our ego. The ego is about us. The ego is about the elevation of us. And humility is about not that. Humility is about maintaining a modest view of our own importance. It's not thinking less of the self. It's about thinking of the self less. It's hard because of the ego. It's difficult because the world we live in doesn't seem to value humility. I mean, we may occasionally acknowledge the accomplishments, uh, uh, humility, when we see like a professional athlete or, or somebody, you know, some big time person, like when the guy wins a Super Bowl and he's like, I'd like to thank God and my teammates and everything they've done for me. And we're like, oh, that guy's a real class act, way to go, I love his humility. Maybe, sometimes. But in like real life, in the world that we deal with, more often than not, our world is all about like self-promoting. Self-promotion is king. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at what I'm doing, look at who I'm with, look at what I'm eating, right? And social media drives this. This is, this is, this is how we, we, we assume some of our identity. We take pictures, we, we put it in public for everyone to approve or disprove of, and we, it's all about us, right? Look at, my, look at my kids, look at my garden, look at my artwork, look at me, look at me. Then we derive our value from did people look at us? And if they do, 
then what that does is it begins to serve and feed our ego and keeps that whole cycle going. Even in the church, we deal with this stuff. We talk about the importance of humility and how it needs to be in our hearts and our minds, and I think people have this idea that that's what we want, but I'm not sure that that's what we actually really want. If we actually valued humility the way that we say we do, I think our churches would operate and function a lot differently. I mean, all you have to do really is look at, <laughs> look at who's preaching and look at the leaders of the churches that are in our areas. This will usually give you a good idea because most times the preacher or the leaders are guys with big personalities. They're going to be alpha males. They're going to be businessmen, usually guys with some perceived sense of clout. There's this thing that's happening that we need to, be, right? And this isn't a universal principle, but it's a common one. It's amazing to me, you know, I've seen in the past several years that I've been here, the amount of, <clears throat> of guys that have come through here and moved on to other things that have come in with the idea that they want to help, that they want to make a difference, that they've got all the things figured out, and here's how we fix the church, and here's how we fix what's wrong with Seth, which is a big mess anyways, you know, you're, I don't know how you're going to do that one. But they come in with all these ideas, and with no idea of really who we are or what we're trying to do, and then begin to tell us how to operate, which one requires humility on my part to be patient enough and open enough to listen, which I don't always do, believe it or not. But also, as I listen to people tell me what's wrong with stuff all the time, you know, not all sometimes, I also think, well, but also like, you sure think highly of yourself in this moment, don't you? Like, and, and sometimes when it, humility in the church gets taken as or labeled as a weakness, and then we don't want the guys that, who actually should be leading to be leading. We want the guy who's the loudest and who pushes the most or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So we talk about how we value these things, but I don't think we actually imply them, import them, apply them into the things that we, how we actually live. Humility is against the flow. Whether we're talking about culture, whether we're talking about our churches, and it's initially so difficult to deal with because we have this lifetime of self-seeking and self-centeredness that's been how we've lived for X number of years, and humility is about reversing this lifetime of self-centeredness. The truth is humility is foundational to our being. Humility is foundational to our growth. Humility is foundational to the overcoming of addictions. It's foundational to our personal development. You cannot learn, if you cannot learn to embrace humility, you will not grow. James 4 talks about some of this. James 4, 6 says this, but he gives us more grace. This is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands. Skip down to verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord. So God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. There's paradox here as well. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and God will lift you up. Something you do, I'm going to humble myself, but something you don't do, God will lift you up. This is hard. Humility is hard. Do you ever find yourself continually being primarily about you? 
Do you ever find yourself continually developing or promoting you? Do you ever find yourself talking or wanting to talk primarily about you? Do you continually want to be the center of attention? Do you continually want to pursue the spotlight? Are you always right? Do you struggle to say, I'm sorry? Do you struggle to say, I was wrong? Do you seem to be the one that has all the answers? Do you feel some sense of entitlement because you built that thing from the ground up? Do you find your identity in your ability to make things happen? This is ego. This is pride. This is the opposite. I know what this is. I know what this looks like. You're talking to, you're looking at a guy who gets on stage every week and tells people his thoughts about God and life and the Bible, which means you're looking at a guy who finds himself dealing with this exact issue a whole lot. Even last night, my dad came over for dinner. Um, my mom's out of town, so we thought, should I have dad over because he'll starve to death if my mom's not there? So we brought him over, had him for dinner, and I said, Dad, did you see the paintings I've been doing each week and putting online? He said, no, I hadn't. And so I said, well, sit down. You're about to. And I made him watch them. Not just one. All of them. There were eight. Right? Why? It wasn't, until, it wasn't until he left that I caught myself going, Seth, you are literally preaching on ego and pride and humility tomorrow. And what you just did was this. Look at me. Look at me. You're so great. You're so... Think about how narcissistic a preacher has to be. A preacher... A preacher... This is so funny. This is a weird topic from the preacher. The, the, the preacher believes that what he has to say about God and the Bible and the world and life and the church is so important and so valuable that he expects all of you to show up each and every week and not only does he expect you to show up each every week, he expects you to bring money to support what he says about what he believes about God and the Bible and church every week, right? And here's what happens. If he's halfway decent, if the church begins to grow, then guess what that does? It reinforces the narcissism. Narcissism. It, it reinforces the ego. Yeah, it's like this terrible cycle. God opposes the proud. God favors the humble. Humility is tough, but humility is essential. And the reason the posture of humility is essential is for progress. Right? We've talked about prayer. We've talked about posture. Let's talk about progress. Uh, AA says this about step seven. The seventh step is where we make the change in our attitude, which permits us, with humility as our guide, to move out from ourselves toward others and towards God. The seventh step is where we make the change in our attitude which permits us with humility as our guide to move out from ourselves towards others and towards God. So this is where it's not just about letting go of the self, it's letting go of the self, it's putting down the ego for the sake of others, right? If you look at that step, if you look at the steps so far, you see the letting go of the self, the laying down of the pride, the, the, the dying to the self is a part of every step, but this step seven is taking it to like the next level. Okay, so look at this, look at the list. What's step one? Admit powerlessness, dying to the self. Believing in a higher power that you need somebody bigger than yourself, dying to yourself. Surrendering control, dying to the self. Conducting a moral inventory, yeah, you just gotta, you gotta realize that you still need to die to yourself. Admitting you were wrong, admit, admit wrongdoing. You acknowledge that you need to die to yourself. Be entirely ready to have God remove the defects. Yes, you're laying yourself down. This week, how, 
You see what I'm saying? The whole thing is just this continual reminder. And the reason for this continual reminder and the, the, of surrender and letting go is that this is an ongoing battle. When you consider the context of addiction, whether it's to chemicals, whether it's to certain behaviors, whether it's to sin, it's the you that got you to exactly where you are, which means for you to get somewhere else, you have to stop being in control. Humility, humility is, the, is foundational, and it's, the, 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 it's essential if you want to change. What's this series called? Nothing changes if nothing changes. If you keep being you and keep allowing you to be in charge, then you will stay exactly where you are and exactly how you are, and nothing will have changed. You see, if you really want actual, lasting life transformation, You've got to get out of your way. This is where you will begin to see the progress. By step seven, if you've been doing the work, the idea of humility or the posture of being humble should no longer be a burden or the task that it was when you first began this process. At this point, humility should be something that we look forward to or appreciate. We've looked at this line already, but I want to show it again, and then I want to show you the next line in some of this material. Okay, where humility had formerly stood for a force feeding on humble pie, it now begins to mean the nourishing ingredient which can give us serenity. This improved perception of humility starts another revolutionary change in our outlook. You see, the thing that we once kicked against now becomes something that I actually look forward to embracing. Okay, let me show you this other line that I think is, is brilliant along with this. We saw we needn't always be bludgeoned and beaten into humility. This is like the first step, by the way. That's, that's step one, admitting you have got beat up, you've, the world has wrecked you, your addictions have wrecked you, and now you're in this place that you can't do anything except admit powerlessness, right? That's the first step. So we needn't always be beaten and bludgeoned into humility. It could come quite as much from our voluntary reaching for it as it could from unremitting suffering. A great turning point in our lives came when we sought for humility as something we really wanted rather than as something we must have. You see, he's saying it could come quite as much from our voluntary reaching. You don't have to like wait until you get to the end of the rope to begin to surrender, to begin to lay this stuff down. This could be something that you realize the benefit of now that you intentionally pursue and realize that in the pursuit of humility, it will actually lead to progress. You know what this is? This step seven is about elevating this idea. This step seven is where you like, it's like you actually start to let go. Like when you really let go, where we loosen, where we become less tense, where we actually step into it because we learn that this is where the real action is. Last Monday, I was doing our Welcome to Monday live stream that I do at 11 o'clock in the Foundry family. Hint, hint, wink, wink, check it out sometime. Um, and we were talking about this series, and I was talking about how doing this series has really, I mean, it's really been working on me. A lot of times people think I'm preaching at them. I'm like, you guys have to realize most of these sermons and messages, I'm talking to myself. You just get to hear it, right? This is like me talking out loud, and you get to be a part of the conversation. Um, and so I was talking about being mindful of the things that make me bristle, like the things inside. Why, why do I tense up when that person said that thing? 
Why, why do I feel the need to argue or fight back in that situation? Why do I think I need to defend myself to that? And, and, and so like being mindful of when something like starts to bristle within me, something like speaks up or something feels this need to kick back. And then and taking a second to say, why, why is that? Why is this happening? Why am I feeling this way about this particular thing? And so I gave this example of myself and my wife, Jess. Like, when she asks a question about something, I have the tendency, occasionally, to not hear it as a question, and more as like an interrogation, <laughs> right? Maybe you can relate it. Like, and rather than just seeing it as like her curiosity, it's easy for me to fly off the handle or lose my calm or to get angry and frustrated at the situation. So when she says something like, well, why did you put that plant there? <laughs> and she just wants to know. It's just curiosity. She just wants to know what's happening ahead because she loves me and she wants to be on the same page and we got to have great open communication, right? You know, that sort of thing. But to me, I'm like, what do you mean why did I put that plant there? What, what are you getting at? Oh, you think this is a bad spot? Well, excuse me, but you don't know the amount of time and effort that I put in, the thought process that I put into putting that plant right there. I've had to think about the soil conditions and the light that it gets and what kind of plant it's going to be. And I'm not even planting it for right now. I'm planting it from three years from now. So how do you feel about that? You still want to ask me about why I put the plant there? Yes, I know why I put the plant there. Does that answer your question? <sighs> Leave me alone. You know, like, why? And, and she was just like, I was just asking a question. I just was trying to see where you were at. I was just wanting to know what you've been working on because I like to communicate because you're my husband and I love you. Right? So I've been working on when I'm fielding a question or 17 from my wife, when I feel that thing inside, that pushing back, that bristling, I've been working on taking a breath, looking at that, question what is is my wife really is she out to get me no why why am I pushing back why am I feeling this I've been working on trying to let that go right and, and and this is part of the process I've noticed that when I move beyond the knee-jerk reaction to a certain thing and when I begin to look for like these opportunities to embrace humility or opportunities to be humble, when I, don't, when, when I don't jump to the conclusion and assume that this question is actually an interrogation, that it's actually an all-out assault on my personal well-being, I notice that when I do that, there's a certain amount of peace and calm that can be had in those moments. I don't have to fight back. She's not attacking me. When I lay that ego down, it's okay. Ask the question. There is no fear. There is no opposition. I'll answer your question. Darling, it's because this is a beautiful jasmine plant. And when we get a deck in the next couple years, by the time that deck is ready to be built, that jasmine will be able to grow all over that deck. So that's why I put it where I put it. Right? There's no problems. Oh, that's such a great, wonderful idea, Seth. You're such a wonderful, loving husband. You're right. You're welcome. <laughs> so step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Prayer, posture, progress. Prayer is the opening up of yourself. It's being more aligned with God. It's not about control. Your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask it. But prayer is the practice of developing the relationship with the divine and learning that you are ultimately not in charge. Prayer teaches us and requires of us the posture of humility. 
Humility is not thinking less of the self. It's thinking of the self less. Humility is tough because it requires undoing a lifetime of self-centeredness. But humility is foundational and essential for any sort of progress. If someone says that they think that they are a mature Christian, or if they carry that idea about them, but they seem to be lacking in humility, I would suggest that they're not as spiritually mature as they think. They may be mature in age. They may have been around the church forever, but without humility, there can only be a certain level of depth. And progress is when we get to the place to actually use humility to be the guide to change our attitude and our perceptions on things. Progress, this progress is a sign of the significant changes that are taking place within you. This progress is an indicator that there is transformation that's taking place inside of you. The truth is, if we really embraced humility, humanity would be better for it. You know, if I can, if I can be real and raw here for a minute, isn't it the lack of humility that's causing so much of the outrage and the unrest in our country right now? Isn't it the pride of the ego that allows one man to take another man's life? The elevated self. As I elevate myself, I lessen others. I'm here and you're here. I'm here and for one reason or another, you're down here. I'm here and because of the color of your skin, you are down here. Isn't this pride and ego? Aren't the things that we're seeing happening now, aren't these the results of this way of thinking that we're actually seeing played out to its logical conclusion right before our eyes? Whether we're talking about situations from years ago like Eric Garner, or we're talking about more recently with Ahmaud Arbery, or we're talking about this past couple of weeks with George Floyd, or the many other human beings who have been mistreated because of the color of their skin. This is not right. This is not acceptable. And if your heart does anything but grieve over these horrific and tragic events, I would suggest that you need to do some serious soul searching. I can't help but believe that God's heart is breaking for our country. I can't help believe, but believe that God's heart breaks in the aftermath. I can't believe, I can't help but believe that God's heart breaks for the men who were murdered. I can't help but believe that God's heart breaks at the riots and the destruction. I can't help but believe that God's heart breaks at the calloused hearts that scoff 
at the riots and destruction. I can't help but believe that God's heart breaks at all those who will turn this into some sort of political fuel to further prove that they think their views are right. I can't help but believe that God's heart breaks for all of his children in moments like these. See, the truth is, and this is the power in what we're talking about, that whether we're talking about social justice or whether we're talking about addiction and recovery, the way forward begins with laying down the self. The way forward begins with thinking of the self less. The way forward begins with humility, and it's only in our humility that we will be able to elevate others. And it's only in the elevation of others that progress will be made. It's only in embracing humility that lasting transformation will take place in your own life and in our country. You see, because it starts with the individual and then it makes its way into culture. My prayer for you is that you will humbly ask God to remove your shortcomings. My prayer for you is that you not run from but rather embrace humility. My prayer for you is that you will come to the place of knowing that any sort of transformation and elevation of your life will only come when you are bold enough to take yourself out of the center of all things. My prayer for you is that you will learn to lay down the self that you will learn to elevate those around you regardless of who they are, regardless of the color of skin, regardless of belief systems, and that you will come to see that each and every single person is a child of God. Will you say this prayer with me? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. What are the things right now that you can change? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. The courage, God, to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. 